Hello, and welcome to the Freedom Challenge online podcast. Here at the Freedom Challenge, we strive to do good by helping enslaved women and children to do more than you ever thought physically possible and to do it together by connecting women with a heart for a hurting world. We hope you enjoy your time being informed and encouraged with host Tracy Doherty and our amazing guests. So let's get ready and join Tracy for this week's episode. Hey, Freedom Sisters and listeners, thank you for joining me today on our first episode in March. I love this time of year. It is spring, the weather is thawing, and the trees are popping with glory. The day is getting longer, and that means we get to be out in the beautiful nature even longer than before. So I'm excited. This month, we are celebrating and discussing what International Women's Day is. Maybe you knew, maybe you didn't, but March 8th was the official International Women's Day, and this is a day that unifies women from across all geographical borders. This day started about a century ago when women noticed and experienced patterns of oppression surrounding gender inequality. And the big idea of this day International Women's Day, is to stand in solidarity around the strength of the feminine voice in the world. Now, I feel grateful for women through the years that have used their voices, not just for themselves, but for others around the globe. I'm grateful for the unity and the grit that has enabled brave women to forge a path providing growing freedoms for women and children. That's the right to vote, expanded education, equality in the workplace, and just a seat at the table of leadership, and so much more forward progress. Yet we know as women there is much more to be done. And this morning when I was thinking about you all, Freedom Sisters, empowering women, I just became so grateful for your passionate advocating voice to end modern-day slavery. You've been using your voice now for about eight years on behalf of sisters who have not yet found their voice. Yes and amen to this work that we do, to your love and the privilege of being a woman in this world. Women standing with women. Women serving women. Now, if you haven't noticed, there's a lot of opinions out there about and even confusion and pain, and I would even call it static, surrounding being a woman in the world. I've so wanted to have a conversation about what I would call biblical feminism. There are many societal expectations, as you know, drastically different depending on where you live in the world. It can be how to dress and how to act, what you can and can't do, and how a woman should actually take up space in any of the given cultures that she may live in. Today, I want to spend time reflecting on God's universal heart for women and making sure that the Freedom Sisters and listeners are building a biblical framework for femininity. This topic is, it really is chocked full of energy, and we will have time to talk together about a few of these points. And again, it's it's a few of these points. There's so much that we could, we, this could be five podcasts. But our hope is that it would begin some conversations within your own heart, with you and God, with you and friends about 
biblical femininity. So my desire would be that you would fully embrace and celebrate your femininity as part of God's very good design. That you would be open to challenging and inspecting your own beliefs about womanhood. And that you would um, be intentionally provoked to have conversations about the value of being a woman. And then to begin to look at your own pain and any disappointment or confusion concerning femininity. So this is what we hope to accomplish today. And I'm really excited to invite Michaela, who was the one-year fellow of the Freedom Challenge, but is also now the podcaster producer. And she has um, said to me a yes about changing roles today. So instead of me interviewing guests, she's actually going to interview me. So it'll be a fun change up today. So Michaela, welcome. Would you share a little bit about yourself? And let's switch seats, girl. Yes, thank you. I know it is so funny. I'm usually behind the scenes and now I'm hopping in. So it is a fun little switch up. And yes, my name is Michaela. I was that fellow and now I get to be the podcast producer and I have been partnering and championing the Freedom Challenge and everything that it does since about 2017. And so just to continue to partner in this way and hear all the amazing conversations that happen on this podcast, it is so much fun to be a part of this. So thank you. And it is exciting to switch up these roles. Love it. So yes, the first question to you, and that is really to frame why we wanted to let you speak about biblical femininity. So my first question is, why are you passionate about this topic and um, all the things you know that you've developed over the years? Share with us a little bit about that. I would that. love to share with you a topic that I am passionate about. And it just goes back to, you know, God uses everything in our life for his glory. So I'm going to go way back. You know, I am a product of a long line of strong women. So on both sides of my family line, I think about my grandma. Her name was AJ, Michaela, AJ. And she was four foot nine and she was fire. Like my dad, who was a big man, feared and revered his mother. Now she didn't come to Christ till the very end of her life. But I have to say that her strength and the confidence that she had in her own skin was very shaping and very forming to me. Both sides of my family, my mother, strong woman, confident in her own skin, with her own voice. My sister, I've said this to her many times, she could run for president, Stacey Brown, and I would probably vote for her. And we I, I laugh and I think I remember my dad laughing and saying, okay, we have female cats, female dogs, um, all female cousins. So I, I just was brought into this world with a strong line of women, with a love for women and a desire to see all of the significance in femininity affirmed. I talked a little bit about my father who passed away this last year, but something I appreciate about him and I know is very rare in this world is that I had a father who really championed women. There wasn't really a time I can remember 
you know, feeling um, that my capacity couldn't reach what God was desiring it to be. I, I know that that is a privilege and a blessing in this life. And there has not been a moment in which I have not sought to see that privilege as an opportunity to be a champion for women as well. I think my heavenly father, my real father, actually mirrored my father's heart to me, which is a beautiful gift. And then next, I want to talk about my church. And, you know, this is very rare because so much, especially amongst Christ followers, the church can be very disempowering of women. But I happened to be in a church for whatever reason, by God's grace, that was very empowering to women. You know, I can think back, Michaela, um, you are a strong young woman who received a call young in your life and was given opportunities to run with that call. But I think I was about 15 or 16 years old when I had a youth pastor who saw in me um, this verbal gift, the ability to lead, and he called it out and placed it in the church. I think the first time I ever taught publicly, I was like 17 years old. I was scared. I was shaking. But I remember looking over at my male at the time pastor's face with a beaming smile. And again, it was this God-implanted picture of what he wanted me to do, affirm your sister's significance. Then I'm going to go on to bragging about my husband who... um We've been married for 29 years. You know that Dan Doherty. One thing I love is that he has modeled what I would call co-dominion and co-inheritors of the kingdom. So um, again, my husband being the kind of man that was able to recognize without threat the call of leadership, the unique call that I had, and that he wanted to partner with that rather than dominate it take it over, suppress it. And that, again, created a capacity and a mobility to be passionate about this topic. Um, you know, I, I, I want to say that through the years, I, I have found great joy in seeing in my sisters what God sees and then mirroring back to them where they might feel weakness, what God says over their life. And it really has become... Um, a hallmark uh, in my life. I have a daughter, and um, I love seeing her. She's now um, Drew Walsh. She's married. She's at Fuller Seminary, and she is learning all about the significance of women in the world. You know, you hear this statement, but I just think it's a good one, and it says, here's to strong women. May we know them, may we be them, and may we raise them. So that is why I am so passionate about women. They are significant. They're half of the world and they're half of God's kingdom. And they're all together image bearers of the living God. I love that, Tracy. And I have known you for a good amount of time. And I say yes, yes, yes to all of that. Um, your family, amazing group of women, your church. And I had to be, I had the privilege and the uh, to be able to be a part of that church and be championed as women and given opportunities and being poured into for who I am as a woman. And so what I love about your story is you have had so much goodness spoken over you about your womanhood, about femininity, but you haven't used that 
just to your own advantage. You've used that to then turn it around and empower other women and speak life into that and me being one of them. And so I love seeing that. And so I think it is so amazing to hear what you have to say about this subject. Thank you, Michaela. Can I add one more thing to this um, that just is um, bouncing off of my head when we were talking is that um, creating an environment where strong biblical women can flourish is so important. I think about Queen Esther. Um, She was a woman who was marginalized. She was of an ethnic background that was not affirmed, appreciated, and actually a genocide was out for the Jewish community. And she found herself in the courts of the king. And it was not known that she was a Jew. And so there was a genocide that was being planned, and she had this moment where she had to decide, I have a very comfortable environment where I am accepted, I am taken care of, I've been beautified, I am protected, all of this good by God's grace. And she had to decide, am I willing to step out and take a risk on behalf of sisters, brothers that don't have this same privilege? And we know the story, if you've read it, it's she did. At her own life at risk, she created an environment where she put herself at risk to affirm the significance of others. So that's just something that just popped in my head as we were talking about how important it is to create an environment where femininity can flourish for the privilege of others. Yeah, I love it. I know it's not the same, but you you weren't a hiker until you did the Freedom Challenge. (laughs) And you made yourself uncomfortable to go champion some women. I was not a hiker. I was not an outdoors person and I loved my heels. So, hey, that is so true. Yes. All right. Well, let's go ahead and move on to this next question. So you, I kind of introduced this, but, you know, we really want to frame feminism in a biblical lens. So what does that look like for a Christ follower? And if you can kind of guide us through how to form that biblical framework for looking at women. Yeah. Um, If we have a biblical worldview, then we have one place to find our truth. And it's not just shaped by culture or loud voices, but it's shaped by our maker, the God of the Bible. So the working definition of feminism is actually not a bad word. Um, It's not a a bad definition. Um, A lot of times Christ followers can get a little uncomfortable when the word feminism is brought up. Lots of different ideas pop in their mind. We can see that there's a lot of pain, a lot of fight, a lot of I am woman, hear me roar. Um, There's some hijacking that has come to that term, almost an anti-men perspective um, that's floating around in today's culture. But the true definition here is the belief in social, economic, and political equality of the sexes. And that is beautiful. I think there's a slogan that's been floating around, and it is, um, you see it on t-shirts and signs, it says, the future is female. And I love the uh, surging up and the visibility of women in the world. My heart leaps at this. But I have to say, I do take a problem with that statement, biblically, as a Christ follower. And I actually made a t-shirt that says, the future is 
female and male. And I say that because we have to go back to scripture and what God envisioned as his dream for humanity. And a world shaped by female alone, by female leadership alone, is not what God envisioned. Um, He envisioned partnership. So, you know, if we go all the way back to Genesis with the maker's design, his heart, his intellectual property, his, um, and we align to scripture, we might see more closely what God's vision for male and female. I think that statement is birthed out of pain. Um, step aside, men, here we come. And I, I do affirm the um, stepping aside and the coming together in the partnership. But I do think that we need to come with our narratives actually from scripture. So would you mind reading Genesis 1, 26 through 28? Let's just start there about God's intent. Yes. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Mm. So back to God's original intention. And what I see in this scripture is his heart. You know, if you think about the gospel, it's redeeming what's been broken in the garden to get back to God's original picture in the garden. So the garden is a perfect place for us to be. It's really the place of fullness of God's design, of relationship, of intimacy. And I want to center our eyes on this. You can see in the passage, it says, let us make man in our own image. So there's the threeness of God you know, Elohim, God the Creator, this picture of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, this beautiful triune God that represents the fullness of who He is, the Father, the Holy Spirit, the the feminine nature of God, and then the birthing of this Son who went and fulfilled the redemption of humanity. It's just such a beautiful picture of the image of God as seen in male and female. And if we look at this passage, it really breaks down. It wasn't one gender, gender, you know, it wasn't like let the males do all the work. God was commissioning his image, his very good image. The scripture says he said it was very good when it came to making the human. He made a human and he pulled it apart, male and female, both radical parts of him, both counterparts of the expression of the nature of God. So in the very beginning, we see partners in building and exploring in God's world. It wasn't, hey, little lady, you sit here while I go take the hard stuff. Like they were in it together, Michaela. Like I can see this beautiful male-female partnership going, let's go explore what God created together. Let's discover the mysteries that God has buried in creation and together take um, partnership with God to make flourishing in this world. You see partnership in the filling of the earth with humans made in God's likeness. Again, 
his nature, male and female, and the beautiful sexuality and the reproducing of other godlike humans that reflect his nature. It took both. They were both important in this partnership. You can see um, a partnership called to prospering, called to reproducing, called to filling the earth, and really called to take charge and take leadership, dominion and stewardship together with God, male, female, made in his image. There's just such a beautiful, dynamic partnership that God dreamed of. And so, you know, as we look at a little farther down the line um, and we think about, you know, Elohim creating what was beautiful to him and um, and then going on into Genesis 2, 18 through 25, if you don't mean mind reading that, um, this is another beautiful expression of what God's intention was for the female presence in the world alongside male counterpart. Yeah, so Genesis 2, 18 through 25. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall asleep into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Isn't that beautiful? Like, there's just so much respect and reverence and partnership in that passage. Is there anything that you see in that passage that represents a kind of superiority over women in that? No. No. Matter of fact, this word that is that is um, the role of of Eve is Azar, which is okay. Two things. This is fascinating about just the capacity and the beauty of the real essence of God seen in women. It's the same word that's used for God helping people of faith through His Holy Spirit. So this helper term. Sometimes we can be like, "Oh, I'm His helper." This is the same word used for the Holy Spirit, which Jesus himself said, it's good that I'm going, the Holy Spirit's coming. So like, just think mm. about the weight and the value that God was assigning to his image in the feminine when he said, this is your helper. This is not like a minimized, you're my little helper, go run errands. It, this is like powerful, depicted in the same word yeah. given to the Holy Spirit. Next, it's also the same word that's used as a military term. So it's the point person in a military formation that's out front protecting the rest. Now, you just think about all the goodness of women, you know, how they just see what others don't see and they have that little protective mother cub and all of that 
that women carry, this is this is powerful, a military term and the term of the Holy Spirit as a helper. Doesn't that just change your perspective on that vision? Seriously. It's like empowering. You're like, wow. Yeah, like that was God's <laughs> idea. It wasn't this, oh, little lady, you're just weaker. It, it 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 wasn't that we we somehow have framed some some muddled theologies on this whole issue, but the other part I love about this it says that they were naked and ashamed uh, they were naked and they had no shame. And one of the things that you think about with women is the vulnerability piece, the oppression piece right now in this world, and the shame that's come and descended upon the sexuality. In this picture, we see mutual freedom and enjoyment. It didn't say the woman was naked and the husband was just thinking, girl, you are hot. He was not objectifying her. (laughs) He was not. This was like a vulnerable, creative, mutual, sexual beauty that God designed in choosing one another and partnering with one another. It's really beautiful to see this original picture with no shame around sexuality. And I think about Proverbs 31 too. There's some other common language that we see. You know, so often we think about Proverbs 31 as some chauvinistic man who wrote a list about what he wants his wife to be. But again, it's not like that at all. If it's framed in our pain, we can interpret the story that way. But Proverbs 31 was actually the ideas of King Solomon's mother, where she goes on to say, my son, don't give your strength to women. She was, again, affirming the power of women, you know, and then she goes on to say, find a woman who is a Hayel woman. So the language is this word Hayel, which again is a military word of a warrior type mentality and physically strong woman, an army of virtues. So although this was being pinned by King Solomon, he was just puppeting what his mother a powerful, empowered, Kyle woman, strong and full with you know mental and physical strength. He was just saying, this is what we should be looking for, men, a woman of strength. So this man wasn't like, um, stand down and let me be the one. He was saying, I am, uh, this is beautiful for this union. So it's a powerful picture the way that God frames biblical femininity, yet... There's a lot of confusion around it in the church and in the world at large. You have anything to add, my friend? Yeah. You know, even in Proverbs 31, there's the line that says she sets out and she surveys a field and she buys it with their earnings and plants a vineyard. You know, like she has also a partnership with her husband to go and form and develop. And, you know, it wasn't just, she was a helper. She's important to growing either their ministry or their um, wealth or any of these things. And and you had said it before, but it says it was very good when women was made and that, that partnership it was so needed. It wasn't the same without the woman. And so there are both roles, important roles. And I just love that. And so out of that, you've depicted this amazing biblical framework, God's intention for the relationship between man and women and the value that a woman brings. But we know, and you've said it, you know, the enemy distorted it from the beginning, the fall of Adam and Eve, 
and distorted that relationship and continues to distort it in ways now in the present. Can you develop then where you're seeing how the enemy is distorting God's intention for women and how we've got it all twisted Mm. up? You know, really unpack that for us. Yes, I would love to. But I want to go back up to Proverbs 31 before I do. And, you know, we have this term right now going on. It's the boss woman. Um, it's like the thing, you know, you you see all these t-shirts and things like that. I think Proverbs 31 woman was such a modern, empowered woman, just like you said. I mean, she in, she, she employed people. She um, yeah. She oversaw the education of her children. Um, she oversaw the um, work that she gave meaningful work to other people in her household. She bought and sold. She was an international global leader. Read it, ladies. Proverbs 31 is not diminishing to women to put them right. in a place of, oh, you just go be that. It is, it is again, like I said, the Hayal woman, the woman of war and strength and a boss woman. Okay. Now to the distortion. Love it. Um, so, you know, it just depends on how we read things, right? Like what lens are we looking through? If we're looking through pain, if we're looking through culture, if we're looking through distortion, we're going to see things a little differently. And that's what the enemy really did. He sought to distort the nature of God, the intention of God. What God said was beautiful and very good. He said, I want to make that very good confusing and disempowered. And so that's where we find ourselves in Genesis 3, 14 through 17. Um, Preceding this was the one, God just gave one restriction or limitation in the garden. He said, everything is yours for the taking. Be empowered, flourish, figure out, steward the ground, name the animals, have free enterprise. But this tree, the knowledge of good and evil, I'm asking you to abstain from. And so that is where we find the enemy planting himself to whisper his his lies of how God really is and how it really might not be as you assume. I'm not sure that God really loves you and has your best interest in mind. Matter of fact, I think he's holding something back from you. I mean, he doesn't want you to be like him. So that's why he doesn't want you to know what the difference between good and evil is. So he was, um, he had swagger and persuasion. And um, precious Adam and Eve just locked hook, hook, line, and sinker or whatever that is onto the, onto the, to, to the trickery. And things really did get confused and muddled and off course. So with that, um, we know that he offered the fruit, the forbidden fruit. They partake of it. Eve partake of it. Adam partake of it. We quickly go to whose fault it is. They go to whose fault it is. You know, Eve is blaming Adam. Adam's believing, blaming God. Um, we're all blaming, you know, as a society or Christians, you know, uh, Adam wasn't a good covering for her husband and Eve was deceived, all of that. But, you know, at the end of the day, we just have to take responsibility for what happened and move out from there. So what does Genesis 3, 14 through 17 say? So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock 
and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Then cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. Woo. So this is like a heavy consequence from the weight. You know, I think God would have intended to show them the difference between good and evil by not experiencing it. He wanted to reveal this part of himself, not by them having to partake in disobedience. So you can immediately see in this narrative where um, two things happen. Satan is poised at war for who? Woman. He says there'll be enmity. That's like war. He's like game on. Satan postures against women, which you can see as you look through the history of the world, that there is a very sinister hatred toward the feminine nature of God, toward woman, the image bearer of this part of God's image. So, you know, he's threatened by the nature the nurture, the capacity of woman. And we know that that has to do with what God immediately said. He said, this woman will bear forth a savior, which is Jesus, and he will crush your head and only his heel will be bruised, which is just like such an interesting picture, a crushed head and a bruised heel. Um, So Satan knew that through a woman will come the savior of the world who will undo what I just did to bring humanity back to the father, back to relationship, back to the garden, back to the original order. How beautiful of God to original, to, to, you know, immediately be on the plan for redemption for his creation. He wasn't like, I don't have a plan too bad. I guess you're just all done. He actually immediately had a plan for restoration. And so where things can get a little messy within, I think, in the church is, was this piece, and would you read it again about how the woman will perceive her husband? I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So you can see the pain points become about children filling the earth and power structures within male-female relationships and the husband-wife relationship. And where things kind of get messy is many uh, church leaders or people or husbands or um, humans, whoever, can see this as a prescription from God rather than a description. Um, a, a and, and we see that this description Um, gets confusing when it's played out. So if this was God like prescribing, because you did this thing, now men will have power over you. This is what your punishment is. I don't think it was like that. I think it was a description of, oh, my, my image bearers, because you followed the deceiver 
Now, here will be the description of some of the things that you will face. You women will will face power grabs, power over, power plays, physical disempowerment, power dynamics played out. I just heard a statistic that 590 million women worldwide have experienced some kind of violence against them physically in their life. So I really believe it's important for us to pull this apart. God was not cursing women or cursing men. He was not prescribing a punishment. He was saying, this is the description. This is this is what will now happen because of these choices. And it wasn't a diminishment of the feminine or a dismissing of their leadership capacity or a reducing women to an object to serve men and have children and give sexual pleasure to men. All of this began to distort the power of the image of God seen in women, both inside and outside the church. So again, if we look at what God said and say, so this is what you get versus this is what's happened and with sorrow my heart is filled, then it really does help us interpret sometimes uh, the disempowerment of women. Um, You know, I, I think women respond two different ways. They either walk in disempowerment, muted, They choose to take up as little space as possible, and they pull themselves into the background. That's one response to this distortion. Or women come out fighting for scraps, hostile, hurt, bitter, you know, this I am woman, this aggressiveness or domination. And neither of these are um, God's heart over women. It's just merely a distorted response to the fall and what happened to the desire and the dream that God had in the original intent. Mm, Wow. Those are uh, such good points because, you know, you can read that scripture in different ways and you can be like, as a woman, I could be angry at God. Like, really? You're going to do that to me? But instead, like you said, really, he's like so sorrowful. This is what has to happen. And I'm forewarning you that this is what's going to happen out of your disobedience, not that he wants it to. And from the beginning, God had intended Jesus to come back to rewrite those consequences that happened out of their um, decisions. And so can you now really develop how we see Jesus rewriting and replacing value and re-describing um, the woman's role in this day and age and how we can now live out the woman that God intended to be even in a broken world. Mm. Oh, I love Jesus. I just love him. He makes me cry. He is the biggest champion of women. Listen, if anyone's listening and doesn't know that, I'm excited to give you homework this week to dig into the real picture of Jesus. He was a feminist. He really was in the truest of sense, not in a hijacked term, but in the truest of sense. His vision um, was so tied to this uh, Genesis narrative. It was, I mean, I just love how ready God was to say, this is what you did. This is what I'm doing. So here's Jesus on the scene, and really what he's after is bringing us back to the garden to redeem and reclaim what was lost. Remember we talked about 
And we read about, you know, Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the day of the garden with the Father in full communion, no shame, full vulnerability with one another. And from that vulnerability physically with one another with no shame, creating other image bearers that reflect the nature of God and help lead the world. So the the capacity of the image of God, male and female, as co-inheritors of the kingdom is unstoppable. It is God's original design. And Jesus is the great equalizer. He broke into the broken world order of empires and dominance and all of that confusion. And his encounters were with women were radical. I mean, we hear about the, the Samaritan woman. I mean, what people thought about him fraternizing with the Samaritan woman, there's more on that that you can study. But she became the first known evangelist, Michaela. She was named the first known evangelist because her whole community received Christ and his message. I'm Mm. thinking about the woman with the issue of blood. You know, I I always think it's interesting. It's the issue. You have an issue of blood, your hormone imbalance, you know, (laughs) but but. You know, what's beautiful about Jesus is he was in a crowd and he felt a woman touch him in such a way that drew power from his body. And what he did is he publicly noticed her, healed her, and gave her societal credit again. This woman was very marginalized because of her illness. I'm thinking about the woman caught in adultery, half-clothed, men probably some of them who have been her abusers wanting to strike her with a stone, so violent. And here comes Jesus, you know, writing in the ground. I'm so curious as what he said. None of us really know. And then they all leave. And he looks at her with the most endearing love and says, go and sin no more. He gives her complete value and says, I forgive you. Go into the world and do what you're called to do. I think about the woman with the alabaster jar that came in. You know, he's having a meal with a leader, a spiritual leader, and she comes in and she breaks an expensive jar of oil and starts washing his feet with her tears in this oil. I mean, when you just think about the fact that Jesus didn't reject this, he received it. And that in and of itself made eyebrows raised. Do you know what kind of woman this is? That's, I mean, it's almost kind of a sensual offering that she brought. But, but even in her best offering from her background, Jesus didn't reject her. He said, I receive your love. And he ministered value to her, even in that broken background. You know, we see all throughout um, the Gospels, Jesus had traveling companions with him that were women. We see that the people who stayed to the very bitter end at the cross was a teenager and all women. And this is the, and there's so many more. This is just a few stories to name. But if we want to just look at what Jesus's heart for the restoration of value, he embodied it. And then it doesn't really stop there. You know, we get really confused. On another, on another podcast, I can talk about some of these. Pauline writings about women in the church that are more about the cultural than about um, a theology of women. So that's a different story. But for all of you there who do not think that um, Paul was validating the worth of woman, I promise you that is not correct. And I'm happy to 
speak to you more about that. But as a flyover, Jesus's leadership team, the men leveraged their cultural power as males to empower women. Man, this is seen in Romans and Acts. We, we think about the upper room. This is where people were waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Men and women were present. And the tongues of fire that indicated the power of the Holy Spirit that landed upon the women in the upper room were a mix of men and women. Companions and ministry partners of the Twelve, many women, funded the ministry, traveled with them, were a part of that team. We see prophets mentioned as women. We see givers mentioned as women, church planters, Lydia in the book of Acts. If you read Romans 16 alone, we see a woman deacon, which is a leader in a Christian um, uh, um, fellowship named Phoebe. We see Priscilla and Aquila, a power ministry couple in which she was at the tip of the spear leading the charge. We see Mary and many others. Just read the introduction of Romans 16 if you are curious about whether or not Paul embraced the leadership, the value, the prominence, the capacity, and the partnership of women. The heart of the gospel is the reversal of the fall back to Edom back to God's dream, God's very good creation. Galatians 3.28 says, um, there is now no male or female. There is no slave or free. It goes on to say that there is no differentiation between all of these otherings, all of these us and thems, all of these societal um, categories. God saying in the gospel, all is equal. All is very good in my creation. Wow. I I love the flow that we're having here in this conversation because really what you've done is you've said this is God's intention for women. And then you've said, you know, this is how it got distorted. And then you're bringing it back and this is how it is redeemed and how we get to take part in that redemption here and now for our own life, but for other women in our community kind of laid it out for us. And I'm really curious to hear how can women who are listening, how can they take these really three steps and allow that story within them, whether it's brokenness and fear, or disempowerment, and all those things that we know are from the enemy, that is from the fall, that are so real in our in our life, in our world, how can they go now a step further of identifying that, but then replacing that story with God's perspective? So can you give us some tools or help us reflect in our own life how to do yeah. that. Yeah. I thank you um for asking that question cuz I really want to encourage all of my female friends, uh female listeners, those who have the likeness of God, image bearer as a female to um spend some time. Don't just quickly go, "Oh, I'm good." But like, ask, do some interrogating of your heart, you know, spend some time on this during International Women's Month, Women's Day on the 8th. The first one would be 
I want to encourage you, as I said at the beginning, to more fully embrace and celebrate your femininity as a part of God's good design. There is a lot of pain connected with God's heart over women. And maybe you've experienced that by way of abuse, spiritual abuse, physical abuse. Um, Like I said, 590 women have um, had violence against them in the world. And many of those women with a power over dominance from men using religion as a um as permission to do this. So I want to encourage you to look at scripture, not how someone uses scripture out of context over your life. And in the show notes, I'm going to put some of the passages that I spoke about, but there are so many. You know, I've done a, a past teaching on the God that sees over Hagar. She was a female slave. She was a surrogate and she was a sex slave to Abraham and how God handled her and called her life out and brought value, protection, and covering over it. So there's just so many places that we can find um, God's picture in this. So I encourage you to spend time looking in scripture and doing your own study. I also want to challenge you to inspect your own beliefs about womanhood. Make sure that they are not shaped by culture, by pain, by um, religious uh, church, uh, you know, rules that you've taken on. And um, to to really sit with God with that, you know, sometimes we can interpret the experiences of our life differently than how God sees them. And so if we can take some of those beliefs about womanhood, about your value in the world, about your role in the world, about, you know, um, sometimes single women can get caught up with not fulfilling their calling because they're not married and seeking out, seeking out a male counterpart to fulfill them. I want to challenge you to push back on some of those things. Um, As we looked at Proverbs 31, you know, there's not one way to fulfill your call in this world. Um, We can buy on to the fact that we are solely a homekeeper. We're homeschooling our kids. We do all the things to support our family. All not bad. They're all found in Proverbs 31. We can get caught up with guilt because we have a career and we have um, our hands actively in in other parts in the world. So I want to challenge you to not just live in guilt, live in assumption, or allow um things to label you, to sit with God and let him interpret what you're doing, why you're doing it, and how he sees it. So that's my second encouragement. And then I just really want to provoke you to have intentional conversations about the value of women, about um, any of the pain or disappointments that you've experienced um, in being a woman in the world. You know, again, being honest with yourself Um, Has being female benefited you? And if so, how? And how could you champion other women who are struggling? Um, Has it been painful or disappointing? Have you you felt like you've lost opportunity or someone stole your idea or someone pushed you aside? Or um, do you feel like you're, you know, coming for scraps at the leadership table? 
you know, I myself um, for years was the only woman in the room in leadership, in Christian leadership. And um, as much as my husband and my father championed me, there were some lonely places in that. And I really had to have intentional conversations about how would I approach that? Am I going to become bitter, bitter and accusing um, and have to exert myself to, to be heard? Or am I going to allow my presence to be strong and powerful and provoke people to ask questions validating my voice? You know, there were a lot of things that I had to wrestle with in that dynamic I don't have all the answers to you, but what I'm asking you is to intentionally have conversations with yourself and others that are female and talk about some of these issues. Just be on a journey to reclaim what the God of the Bible, your maker, has to say about your femininity. Thank you so much for those tools. And like I said, really pulling it back into the freedom challenge, we love championing women. That's where it started. We wanted to bring freedom. We wanted to champion. We wanted to say you are strong. You can climb a mountain and you can support other women along the way. We partner with different ministries that really do this. And um, one of those is the self-help groups. And so just uh, a little snippet on that is the self-help groups are really women across the globe. They come together in their own communities. They form these groups. They share, they chat, they empower one another, they champion one another, and then they help one another figure out and solve problems individually. But then as a community, it's really empowering and such a beautiful depiction of how God can redeem the work of women and the importance of women. And so I love the Freedom Challenge really stands for. So we've laid a biblical framework. We're going to develop this idea of how we champion women that are like us and not like us and how we see the uniqueness and the beauty within all women of how God created them and how they embrace their biblical femininity. And so I say, look forward to our next episode of hearing from really amazing women. Um, So I guess, Tracy, can you just really, as we close out, share with our listeners how they can come alongside the Freedom Challenge, partner with us to continue to empower and champion women um, across the globe. I would love to. Um, First thing I want to say is the self-help groups are, I got to say, one of my very favorite um, development and women's empowerment projects that we have been a part of at Freedom Challenge. And I want to encourage you in the show notes, there's a link to the Freedom Challenge Live, which was an event that we did in January, Anti-Human Trafficking Month. And we have some phenomenal speakers that are frontline with those self-help groups. You will be in awe of how much these groups are affirming the God-given dignity that is already existing in women. Um, So I want to encourage you to check that out. Um, In the month of March, we are raising $2,500 that will go toward the self-help groups, women around the world that are being empowered to solve problems, to come together, and to 
form community and like-heartedness. Um, your donations and continued partnership will enable us to provide more women with the opportunity to experience true freedom and many of them for the first time. So we ask that you would partner with us financially. You'll see a link that will go directly toward this International Women's Day fundraising activities that we are doing. So before I sign it back over to Michaela to wrap us up, I would like to pray for you. So Lord, I come to you in the name of Jesus, Heavenly Father, precious Holy Spirit, the most beautiful depiction of mutual submission. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all preferring one another in their role. No competition, no power over, working together and um, preferring one another. This is a beautiful picture that you want in the world. And so, Lord, I want to proclaim the redemption of what life looked like in the garden. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to do that. Thank you for the way that you affirm and love women, both in the time that you walked upon the earth and now seen through the Holy Spirit, the beautiful feminine nature of God that resides in the world to teach, to instruct, to heal, to draw to Jesus, to elevate your work. We're so grateful. I pray that what would well up in every woman who listens to this, the wounds that they may have concerning their femininity, their bodies, power that's been taken from them because they are women, I ask that you would replace it, God, and heal it with a flood of truth and light and healing. That would come from your word, it would come from other women, and it would also come from the mending of relationships with men that perhaps have even wounded them. Would you redeem the story? Would you rewrite the story in the life of every sister here? Would all of the pain, confusion, and disappointment concerning femininity would be redeemed by the power of your love, by bringing meaning to their suffering? because, Lord, you suffered with them. I ask that we would raise up in this time a powerful voice of women that gives a voice to women who have not found theirs yet. I ask that we would be great helpers, just like the Holy Spirit, and we would also be with a warlike mindset, a Hayal woman out of Proverbs 31 that fights for the goodness of humanity wherever her hands, her feet, her life, her loved ones may be found. Let it be, Lord Jesus, in your precious and holy name. Amen. Over to you, Michaela. Mm, Amen. Well, thank you so much, Tracy, for one, letting me switch roles and play the host here. It was really, really amazing to hear your wisdom and insight. So listeners, thank you so much for joining us. We really hope that you were able to walk with us in forming this biblical framework and that you would take the time to really dive into that introspection. We thank you for joining us today. And let's remember until next time to do good by helping an enslaved woman and children to do more than you ever thought physically possible and do it together by connecting with women who have a heart for a hurting world. God bless. 
Thanks for listening to the Freedom Challenge online podcast. If you liked what you heard, join the fight to set women and children on a pathway to freedom across the globe. We are a proud ministry of Operation Mobilization USA and encourage you to learn more at thefreedomchallenge.com and omusa.org for how you can get involved. Follow us on Facebook, on Instagram at the FCUSA, and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review to let us know what you think. We'll see you next time.